Hey, this is Brian. Welcome to The Aggressive Life. Today, we're going to get a little aggressive, or at least uncomfortable. At least I am going to be uncomfortable. I just listened to this recording through, and I found myself getting very uncomfortable. Whenever I do a podcast, I want to talk to you like we're talking on my back deck. I think flowery phrases and just sort of syrupy surface stuff doesn't help anybody. So as we talk about sex today, my heart was to talk about it the way normal people might talk about it if they knew each other really well on a back deck. And as I listened to this, I thought, "Uh," I had a little cringe going left and right. If you have some cringing, I understand it, I get it, but I've chosen to leave this in because we've got to talk about some of the real stuff. And there's a conversation about sex that very few of us are willing to have or even know how to have it. And my guest today, Emma Schmidt, is going to lead us in that discussion. So please give me a little grace as I sometimes make a little bit of uh, light of the situation, try to have a little bit of humor, try to interject. I'm trying to alleviate maybe some tension some of us might feel and just having a good time through and through. So, hey, if you're going to be a little squeamish, I get it. This might not be the episode for you, but for the rest of us, welcome to The Aggressive Life. This is a real conversation about sex. So just be warned, it might not be for your kids. It might not even be for you. Or maybe it is for kids. Maybe it is for you. You can decide. I just want you to know I'm going to make an aggressive move and say some things that people might not expect me to say. And I'm going to ask some questions that many of us are wanting to have asked. That's what's called aggressive. This is part one of a two-part conversation with sex therapist Emma Schmidt answering your questions about sex. Welcome to the aggressive life, the place where you're pushed, the place where you are encouraged for doing the pushing. Oh, that almost sounds that almost that almost sounds like a sexual innuendo. It wasn't meant to be a sexual innuendo. That's one of my love languages, actually, a sexual innuendo. That wasn't actually meant to be a sexual innuendo, though. Maybe it was a Freudian slip because we're actually talking about sex. Yes, sex is best when it's one on one. Who remembers that song? That was a good song. That was a uh, oh, was that? I want to say Boy George, not Boy George. George Michael, or was that the band that he came from? Wham, uh, whatever it was. Try and lighten this up. It's going to be a little heavy for some of us. It's going to be a lot of fun for some of us because if you're frustrated with your sex life, it could be heavy because there could be a lot of shame around our sex. If you're happy about your sex life, it can be a really, really fun thing. I'm hoping that all of us get pushed a little bit today. I hope all of us have a little bit of fun today because many of us with our partners, there's some frustrations. Many of us feel like we aren't experts. In fact, I don't think there are any experts. If there is one, she happens to be right in the studio with me here today. Her name is Emma Schmidt. She's with us as the founder of Cincinnati's first and only sex and relationship therapy group 
practiced. She's uh, a friend of the aggressive life. She's been with us before. I talked with her about a year ago about COVID quarantines and how we could have better sex in COVID quarantines. Uh, we thought it was a perfect time to bring her back, but this time she's answering your questions. That's right, your questions. About once a month or so, I open up my Instagram for a day of Q&As, and I get a bunch of sex-based questions every time. We did that a few weeks ago, and we collected the questions to bring to the expert. And of course, she's the expert more so than I am. I'll give my opinion, too, because I've, I've had sex once or twice in my life. <laughs> once or twice. And uh, if you're single, don't turn this thing off, especially if you're sexually active and single, don't turn this thing off. If you're married, don't turn this thing off, especially if you're not sexually active and you're married. This topic brings with it a lot of brokenness, a lot of shame, a lot of I don't measure up, all that stuff. And I think Emma's going to help us very, very much. So welcome back to the Aggressive Life, Emma Schmidt. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. This is fun. Yeah, it's very, very fun. I think last time we got into all my personal sex dysfunctions. We sure did. Yeah, that wasn't very fun. So we're not, I love that. If you're curious, about, why, you, why do you love that? Why Let's are you go deeper. To, I love uh, no, it. We, we went deep enough. You, people know more about sex dysfunctions a year ago than need to be. I want to hear about somebody else's sex dysfunctions. You're just humanizing it for them. Uh, yeah, I am. I, yeah, I, I think we all realize it. None of us have it together as much as we think that we do. And I, th- exactly. and I think sex especially is just one of those topics that one of those items, everyone feels like they're an expert or great at it, or everyone feels like they're supposed to be great at it. Mm-hmm. Right? Why right. is that? Well, I have no idea. I don't, well, I guess the people that I'm with don't feel like they're an expert at all. <laughs> they're confused. And I think um, culturally we're trained that we should have it all together. We should know what we're supposed to be doing and that it's supposed to work, you know, perfectly. But then we get together and we feel awkward or clumsy or we start creating walls between us and our partner around sex um, or we try and perform in a certain way. And so I think that there's, I think we th- we think that we should be experts, but I think that a lot of us are feel pretty clumsy when it comes to sex. So I've got a bunch of questions that I mentioned before that came from uh, our listeners in the aggressive life. Uh, I'm just going to start with my question first because I just thought it was just now. Let's get back into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what defines a person as being great at sex? A person who's great at sex, great in sex, is someone who... So I think that depends on how you define sex and what your value is around sex. So... If sex for you is uh, what makes you great at sex is that you know how to connect with your partner really well and you feel like you know them and you feel like you um, can please them and uh, you feel like having an orgasm at the end of it makes great sex, then that's great sex for you. If it's that um, we're just connecting and it doesn't have to end in an orgasm, then maybe that's what great sex means for you. Or if it's um, just exploring and um, figuring out how to be one with my partner during that time. So I think it really depends on what defines great sex because it it really comes down to the individual and the, the partnership of what great sex actually means to them. Gosh, I think that's Part of the whole problem when it comes to sex is there, there's really not a clear scorecard, is there? Right, yeah. So we're each individually bringing our assumptions and expectations into the union, into the encounter. Right. And, you know, it's it's bound to get fraught with tension and confusion. At least that's what I found in my sex life. 
Yeah, I think when we come in with those expectations, typically, I don't want to say we fail, but like if we can just get rid of those expectations and start to talk more, start to get to know our partner more, start to be curious about what do I actually want versus the expectations of what I thought I should be or um, what I'm bringing into the relationship of my expectations, when we can let that go and really start to be curious about what do I actually want and what does my partner need, then I think it creates a whole more intimate and more... Uh, satisfying sexual experience. Well, let's go through these questions. There, there's so many here. I'm just going to end up picking some of them because I'm sure you could just write a novel on a bunch of these. So let me let me just start going through. Again, these are your questions. We're just answering your questions. Here's one. Can a marriage survive without sex except for procreation? Sure. Yeah, so I think this comes back to what... Uh, how do you value sex? And so there are some couples that they just don't have the desire to have sex, and that's okay. But we want to make sure that you're experiencing intimacy together, and that feels fulfilling for you, whatever intimacy looks like. So that could be physical intimacy. That could be aesthetic intimacy. It could be emotional intimacy. But technically, if you don't have desire for it, don't force yourself to have sex if that's not there. If you just want to procreate, that's fine. What we typically see, though, is if there's mismatched libido and one person wants sex and the other person doesn't, that's pretty common throughout all relationships. But we do see couples that they really don't need sex the way other people do. And so just observing that and honoring that and um, trying to let go of some of the shame around maybe um, if we feel like we have to have sex to have a, um, a successful relationship. And those couples are under 50? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're seeing that actually a lot in... Well, I guess millennials are getting old. I'm a millennial. What's underneath Gen X? There's this whole wave of people who are putting off sex and don't have desire for it anymore. And that's a whole new conversation. But they're having sex less frequently than some of the older generations. And so we're seeing more, maybe even some types of like asexuality where I just don't have any desire for sex because they're putting other things in front of that, like their career or, yeah, their career. (laughs) Okay, they're they're not having sex or they're not having orgasm. They're not well, both. So they're not having they're not reaching out for a sexual partner because that takes up too much time. And so um, I think what's happening then is they're shutting down their arousal state and they're just going, going, going in their career because that's American culture, right? Um, I need to keep hustling so that I can be successful in my career. But in that meantime, we're shutting down our sexual arousal, especially for the younger generation. What? That sounds deep. Shutting down their arousal state. Mm -hmm. Explain that. So I think we do this as Christians, too. Um, What happens is, let's say you value not having sex before marriage or you value your career over your sexual um, interest. What happens is the brain then takes that and says, anytime you have some kind of arousal, um, you either shame yourself or you feel guilty about it or you feel like, no, I can't do that. I need to think about my career or I, I can't have sex before marriage. And so whenever I feel that tingling experience or I feel that arousal, so arousal is your body sensation feeling something and desire is the want to have sex. So if I start to feel that and I say, that's not good, I don't want to do that, I don't have time for that, then I start to shut it off. So we can feel that through like squeezing the pelvic floor area and shutting that off. So we'll see a lot of guys have erectile dysfunction or women have sexual pain or vaginismus because they've learned to squeeze their pelvic floor and shut down that arousal or they start to switch their brain. So then when they're in this committed relationship or they're married, then all of a sudden we find out that we have tons of sexual dysfunction because earlier on we've trained ourselves to shut down that sexual arousal or a sexual state that now I don't know how to process 
healthy sexual arousal and healthy sexual desire because I've trained my brain to do something else for so long. Mm. Yeah. And then you lose the arousal. You just lose it altogether eventually? That's a good point. You can gain it back. So um, it's about... Uh, it's about the brain. So you have to retrain your brain to experience that arousal again and to allow yourself. So a lot of times it's working through shame. It's it's healing again through allowing your body to feel that and experience that. And so what happens is because we turn that off, we somewhat become numb to our body and dissociated from our body. And so being able to go through exercises and mindfulness exercises of Closing your eyes and just noticing what's happening in your body when you think about, you know, your partner or you think about different sexual stimuli that you start to notice, where am I feeling that in my body and how can I turn that volume up a little bit more to allow that arousal to to start to come back again? Hmm. Yeah, I wish I would have been doing this podcast about about 32 years ago. That's for (laughs) darn sure. I do. Yeah, a lot of my story ties into some of the stuff you're talking about. That's that's intense. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, maybe. We talked about that before. I don't know. Uh, maybe. It might come up with some one, one of our other questions here. Uh, I want to make this about the listeners instead of, instead of me for a change. You know, sometimes Emma, it's not all about me. <laughs> sometimes it's not all about me. I'm a therapist at heart. I always want to go deeper. I know. I know. So what do you do when you have a marriage where one person has to have once more sex or sex and the other person wants less sex or not sex at all. Mm-hmm. What's what's the way out of that situation? So this is what we call mismatched libido um, or desire discrepancy. And this is 99.9% of relationships. So what happens at the beginning of the relationship is you technically actually match your partner's libido. And so you think like, oh, we're on the same sexual track. Like we like the same things. We're the same frequency. This is great. But what happens is around that 18 months to two years, actually you start to level back out to what your natural sexual libido is. And this can feel tricky because a lot of partners will feel like, oh, I was tricked into this marriage or I was tricked into this relationship just to be able to for my partner to get married, but they don't actually want me. They were just manipulating me uh, with sex to be able to get in this relationship. But actually, that's pretty normal for your libidos to then level out around that 18 months to two years mark. So if you're experiencing that, that's very normal. But what happens then is we have to actually work towards sex. So a lot of couples, a lot of people want that spontaneous sex. But as I'm assuming, you know, like sex takes work. It's not going to just spontaneously happen. So with mismatched libido, it's not about just meeting the higher libido and it's not meeting the lower libido. A lot of times people assume that if you have lower libido, that that it's pathologizing that like you are the problem, but that's not always the case. Neither are the problem. It's just about trying to figure out how do we have a conversation and figure out what's going to work for us. So the person who has a low libido, um, talking to them and asking, well, how do you feel desire? What does desire look like for you? How do you feel intimately experienced? Like what does intimacy look for you? And how can the higher libido person start to increase that desire? So if desire for that person looks like Um, slowing everything down and having a full body exploration before they then have maybe some kind of other sexual experience, that's going to help you gain information about your partner. And the same with, you know, the higher desired person, maybe the lower desired person talks to that higher desire and he or she says, um, you know, I like it when you come up and um, just take me like I really love that. And so if you can think about if you can get out of your own space and stop thinking so much about I don't want sex or I want so much sex and think about how can I best love my partner in this situation, turn towards your partner, then I think that's going to create this unity that's super cool. Um, But sometimes we get so stuck in like, why isn't my partner 
why aren't they doing the things that I need? So if we can take a step back from that and really focus on how can I love my partner best, I think that is um, where true, true intimacy can come in that knowing and being known piece. But that's the problem. How do I love my partner best? It's very simple. One of them would say, stop being so pushy about sex. And the other one would say, well, start having more sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we need to redefine, like, what? why does that lower person feel like it's pushy? What has created that? Why don't they have desire? Where did that come from? Have they never wanted desire? Have they never wanted sex? And so if the higher desire person could come to that lower desire and just be curious and ask more questions, and, and the same with the lower desire with the higher desire, um, if, if we can just remain in a state of being curious, why is this so important to you? What does this do for you? Um, when did you stop um, having so much desire? Maybe it's because now we have kids and my stress level is higher. Okay, so what can we do about that? Like if I can remain more curious, because that is a very common problem, right? Stop being so pushy. This is all you want. Or like you must not like me anymore because we're not having sex anymore. I think if we slow down and figure out like, well, what's creating this chaos here? Then we can have more information to understand what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with this information that we now have? And I think that can actually create a whole new system when we can fully understand our partner's side. So the curiosity, asking things, the curiosity is going to either lead to arousal or the curiosity is going to lead to empathy of understanding where that person is. So it may solve the problem one way or the other then. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. So the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman, who are big researchers, kind of like the pioneers in research, for relationships, say um, there's this listener-speaker skill. So if I can be curious, validate, and empathize with my partner, they're going to feel way more heard than if I just come at them and say, you don't like me, you don't pursue me, and then they feel guilty and feel like they have to give you pity sex. Nobody likes pity sex, and you know that that you're getting pity sex, right? What would it be like to really feel like you're hearing your partner and then for that speaker person to come from I statements like, I feel this, staying in your lane, not blaming or criticizing, but really saying like, man, I feel abandoned when I don't have sex or I feel I feel like the kids come first over me. So being able to, you know, as a speaker, talk from the I statement, staying in your lane, and as the person who's listening, being curious, validating, and empathetic, I think is a really, really good way to have these sex conversations. Another person asks here, what is a healthy sex frequency for married couples? Well, I guess you're already defining that, that it doesn't matter. It, it, it it's totally by choice by wherever the couple wants and wherever they are. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Like I can tell you the research, but I don't because that doesn't do anything. <laughs> it doesn't do any good, right? right? Uh, you either feel shame by that. You feel guilt by that. You compare. And that's the biggest piece in this. I think a lot of couples enter in the relationship um, and have this comparison. Do I measure up? compared to other people, compared to other relationships. But ultimately, like, we got to get out of this people-pleasing. We got to get out of this meet, meeting the Jones or whatever that phrase is and and focus on what do I need? What do I want? What does my partner need? What do they want? And, and how are we going to create this together? Because ultimately, that's going to be most satisfying. This will be a fun question because mm-hmm. you're actually going to, like, help us here. You, you, you've been helping us, but, like, tangible things that we could do. So this question, sex happens, but I don't feel connected to my spouse Thoughts about connection, intimacy, so sex feels more like making love. Mm-hmm. Feel like making love. Remember that one? Do you remember that? The... No, I just see you on your motorcycle. That was bad company. I was bad company. 
I just get these visuals. Baby, when I think about you, think about, okay. So thoughts about that connection, intimacy. Yeah. How, what can we, what can we do? Not just general thoughts, but what, 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 tell a guy or a woman who has a hard time with this, what do we do for that? So the thing that I hear the most is sex feels like a chore or we're just getting it done. You know, the average time that people have sex is around five minutes. And so we can assume that that's oh, hold on, just, hold on, hold on. I know. Five minutes, like from when we'd have the idea to orgasm or we're talking thrusting for five minutes. Um, so it is getting together and usually it goes straight into thrusting. There typically isn't a lot of what we might call foreplay prior to that. So it's like hey, do you want to do this tonight? And the person says, yeah. And then you, you know, potentially get on top, thrust, done. For five minutes. Five minutes. I am a loser. Five minutes? <laughs> what do you say you're a loser? <laughs> uh, enough about me. Enough about me. Let's just let's keep going along. So okay. intimacy, intimacy. Yeah. So I should also say premature ejaculation is very common. And premature ejaculation, sometimes uh, people have the wrong definition. It's a minute or less is what what defines premature ejaculation. So if you have that challenge, I highly recommend doing All some right. pelvic floor. Right. I'm not premature by okay, that okay. thing. But, you know, if, <laughs> if five minutes is the standard. Maybe you fall into the norm statistically. Uh, yeah, keep going. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So I'm very ADHD, so I could bring in a lot of things. I'm going to focus on the question. So connecting. So what we want to do is we want to figure out, like, how do we connect? How do we get out of this performance-based mentality of sex? So performance-based meaning A plus B equals C. So I get an erection, inner vagina, orgasm done. That's performance-based. But if we can really um, piece this apart and say, how do we slow down and get to know each other? So intimacy being that knowing and being known. How do I really get to know my partner um, what would it be like to explore their body? So I know I've talked about this before, but I think that this is so, so good. So if my partner is laying there and I just take my fingertips and I just start exploring their body and noticing what does it feel like to touch them? What does their skin feel like? What does that wedding ring mean to me? What does it mean like to, you know, go down their stomach and realize they've given birth before or just around their inner thighs and their labia or their penis and noticing the different textures and the different uh, what it feels like on my fingertips and what it does to me as I'm starting to do this. So if we can slow everything down and start to experience presence. So what do I see, taste, touch, feel, hear, and get into that, get into our bodies, then like the arousal is so much different. I'm out of like the things that I need to do for the rest of the day. And I'm really getting to know my partner's body and I'm really allowing them to get to know me. So I think if we can slow down and start exploring each other and start opening that up, then that making love piece, I think is going to come in a little bit more, but talking to your partner. And I think that's the thing that holds us all back is that talk feels so uncomfortable um, and so awkward. But what I find from clients is when we can switch that mentality to this exploration and intimacy and connection type of sex versus performance sex, right. um, that shift between the couple is is huge. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that that's where I am in terms of what really gets me going is when there's a connection, yeah. emotional, intellectual mm-hmm. connection. And uh, that's that's really where the intimacy game is for me. Yeah. So I think that's really good that you're talking about this because, like I was saying before, the, those different levels of intimacy, so the aesthetic, um, adventure intimacy, we don't play enough or have adventure enough with our partner, especially in the sex, sexual experience. So um, what would it be like to play and have adventure? But prior to that, being able to access each other on different intimate levels, um, like 
like the aesthetic nature, work intimacy, those all build into that sexual intimacy. So if you're just two ships passing in the night and then you go to have sex, there's going to be a lot missing there. It's just going to feel like there's another body there, not like your partner. All right, I'm having so much fun with this conversation. I realize we can't have this be a three-hour podcast. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm sorry. not helping you. I'm don't be sorry. sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not helping you because I've got all these categories of questions. Marriage, children, men issues, women issues, wounds, religion, single. You said masturbation. I didn't. We mas- got to talk about it. I'm sure it's in here. I'm, I'm sure it's in here someplace. Why you got to talk about it? You like you like talking about masturbation? Oh, I do. Yes. Okay. Well, well, no, we have to People wait. People have then. a lot of opinions about what you think about masturbation, which I think fascinating. About what I think about yeah. masturbation? Yeah, they like to tell me. Oh my gosh! <laughs> ha, who, who knows what I think about masturbation? That's what well, I want to know. Why, why do they care what I think about That's masturbation? What I yes. All right, we'll come back to that. We, 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 we got to talk. We got about talk, talk about having sex with yourself. Let's stay in the marriage one um, for 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 a bit. Disagreements about sexual positions. Mm-hmm. So again, talking about it, what, being curious. Um, so I, I love this idea of being curious. Malcolm Gladwell just put out this book last year, talking with strangers, and it's all about being curious and not assuming. But we have all these narratives in our mind about what our partner is feeling or thinking, and we're not actually talking with them. And so with sexual positions, continuing to be curious and having that conversation, what is it about that position that you don't like? Um, is there a different position that you would like? If you're wanting to change up the positions, what would what would that be? And so maybe your partner likes that position because it helps them have a lot of pleasure, even though you might not like it. So if it's causing you pain, definitely don't do it. But still be curious around what is it about that that position? Does it feel really intimate to me? And so I, I like that because it's, it feels like connecting for me. Um, so continue to have that conversation and might, yeah, um, figuring out why that position might not be good or why it is good or what positions you want to try. Okay. Advice for soon-to-be newlyweds where one is a virgin. (sighs) That means the other one is not. What I would say is trying to let go of all your expectations. So if you're entering into the relationship and you've had these other sexual partners, let go of those experiences you've had with that other person. It, or those other people. If you're a virgin, um, I would let go of the expectation of what you think it should be like. So if you're trying to mimic, you know, a certain performance or you're trying to match maybe what you've heard your partner talk about before with other partners, just let it go. And what I would say is on that wedding night or even after that wedding night, well, one, knowing you have the rest of your life. So like, don't try and do all the tricks and the, you know, the pony show, whatever that means <laughs> that night, just explore and experience and connect, like try and make it fun and try and make it intimate, but don't make it about, we have to do this performance thing. And so that's what I would recommend. Um, how can we really let go of all these expectations and just be together and connect and explore each other's bodies together? What I wouldn't give to hear you in this podcast when I was 21. Mm, me too. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I mean, I got married at 22. I was a virgin. Lib was not a virgin. And um, I, I not only didn't know how to satisfy a woman, I didn't even know how to talk about it. I didn't even know you could talk. People, there's just, there was no talk about sexuality in 1988. There's no talk about helping somebody in their sex life in 1980. There just just wasn't. The only talk was, don't do it unless you're married. That was the only talk. Man, yeah, I wish I could have another run at that one. This is, folks, please thank Emma. Do whatever you can here. This is 
gold, gold stuff she's given for all of us. So thank you very much. You're welcome. But I think we should highlight that because because many of us are taught to not talk about it and that it will just increase your desire and then make you, I'm doing quotes, sin. Prior to that, we then enter into a relationship and don't have any sex education. And so we're set up for failure, I think. And so being able to set yourself up for success, do your sex education, talk to somebody who's open with it about sex, who feels confident talking about it and who's not going to shy away from it. I think that's so, so important um, because a lot of people feel like they enter in and then they just don't have the education that I feel like is important to have. Right. When I say 1988, people were talking about sex, but... (laughs) the talks was you need to abstain or the talk was you need to just do whatever you can and just please yourself. Yeah, purity culture, right? Yeah, well, it's purity culture. And then um, I don't know what's the opposite of purity culture, anything goes culture. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a reasoned explanation, discussion, helpful thing that we're doing today. So this is good. good. All right, let's go with the children here. Uh, some of the stuff we'll get back into. Children. A uh, person says, sex drive is basically non-existent since having kids. I'm feeling guilty and unavailable for my husband. Advice? So I would say just be gentle and kind to yourself. Um, Emily Nagalski wrote this book called Burnout. And what she says is that women are born into a society of um, feeling like we have to be human giver syndrome, meaning we have to be all things for everyone at all times. And I'm hearing a little bit of that in this, like I have to be now a new mom or, you know, whatever, however old the kids are. And I also have to provide for my partner and I'm not, you know, meeting the needs of sex or whatever. So I would say be really gentle and kind with yourself. And it's okay if you're not experiencing that right now. But one of the things that we notice is sex is the main contributor for low sexual desire. And so if you have kids... Sex uh-huh. is sex is the main contributor whoa, whoa. for low sexual... <laughs> Wait, stress. Stress. Stress okay. is the main contributor for low sexual desire, specifically in women. And so if you're finding that your stress level has really increased, um, what happens is it really turns that volume down on that sexual desire. So if you're able to get into a space to talk to your partner and figure out, you know, hey, I don't have desire right now, but what could we do? What is hindering me? What's holding me back from that desire? Did I ever have desire? And if it is because my environment is really stressful, what can I do to then figure out ways to connect with my partner in other ways? Like, are we even connecting outside of the sexual piece? Um, And taking time and scheduling it and not just like after the end of the day, like that's when most people schedule sex. Let me tell you, that is not a good time to have sex. You are exhausted and you're giving your partner the last bit, but you're also giving yourself, you're self-sabotaging in a way um, from allowing yourself to feel that pleasure and that connection. So try and figure out some creative ways to connect with your partner, whether that's, I know it's COVID right now, but going to a hotel or scheduling a nanny or, you know, whatever that might be, having the kids honestly be on their tablets so that you can go and have some connecting time. Um, But right now it's, it's, when you have those kids, it's really about like, how can we really be creative and what's holding me back from desire right now? Now, I know I'm not the sex therapist, mm-hmm. so we're here to ask you questions, but I have been around for a while now. Uh, <laughs> so let me, let me throw my opinion in on this as well. And what basically what I'm reading here from this question, and they, they did ask me on my Instagram these questions. Basically, what I'm hearing on this question is, I, I really don't want to have sex, but I really don't want my husband to be frustrated mm-hmm. that we're not having sex. <clears throat> Advice. Now, this is not my day job. You tuned into my podcast. You're not coming to my sermon. You're coming to my podcast. So hopefully you can handle this. Hand job. Yeah. You know? That's I mean, such a good answer. It, 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 Lib and I just got in 
stupid. Like, I can't believe, like, what, what the heck were we thinking? Like, several years ago, we're like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, this is easy. It's wonderful. First of all, for the first 22 years of my life, that's the sex I understood was my own hand. Mm-hmm. You know, you're kind, of, you're kind of used to that, unfortunately. And then you're getting rid of that or not doing that for a variety of reasons maybe we'll get into. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, it, it's actually very intimate. Mm-hmm. It's very intimate. And even if she doesn't feel like it, <clears throat> it's, e- it's an easy layup for her. Mm-hmm. And most guys, not most, many guys, I don't know about your husband, many guys, you, you did that with them. They're, you're 90% of the way there. It's like, and for a lot of guys, 100%. That's fine. So I wanted. It's just, it's, it's just something to consider in your toolbox. Yeah. Now, am I, am I crude? Am I unrealistic? Am I chauvinistic on that? What, what do you say to that? No, I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, that's a really good fallback trying to ask yourself, why am I saying no right now? Like really, because sometimes it gets habitual. We'll just say no. And then that just becomes our habit of just saying no to sex. And then our partners can feel rejected, but really asking yourself one, why am I saying no right now? But two, um, can I say no, but so like, no, but I can provide this other thing or no, but tomorrow is a really good time because we don't have all these things. Here's the thing too. Like this might be uncomfortable for people to hear, but I think what we have to do is keep talking about it in a way that we're normalizing. Like this is our body. God created our body. This is really cool. The body does some pretty fascinating things. If we slow down and notice it, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. And a way for you to connect with your partner. I, I wouldn't disagree with anything you're saying. I think it's all deep, wonderful. I wish someone had told Lib and I that a long time ago. <clears throat> and I wish some, if someone would have helped us know that, that we could do that together or she could do that without me going off in a powder room or something like that. And that would be, uh, seriously, that would have taken our marriage to a whole new place. Not, not the sex life, the marriage to a whole nother, a whole nother level. Yeah, I think there's a connection that happens post-orgasm because of that oxytocin that happens that releases where it's like the cuddling hormone. So after you release that orgasm, you feel really connected to your partner. So even if it is that quickie, quickies aren't bad. They can be really satisfying, but it can help your partner feel really connected to to you. And it can be, you know, like two, three minutes for sure. Let's go on to uh, men issues, mm-hmm. <clears throat> men issues. Why do men want to have multiple sex partners? That's one question. Well, I would say women also want multiple sex partners. I think it's humanity that we want multiple people. It's about um, how, what do I value? And do I value knowing that I could be attracted to multiple people, but my value is just to one person right now? Um, Or is my value to multiple people? And so there's a you know, a commitment that we decide to make if you're in a, you know, a monogamous relationship to say, I might want or desire other people, which is completely normal, but I'm committed to you. And that's something that I'm going to contractually decide upon. Does size really matter? I'm asking for um, <laughs> a friend, they, they say. <laughs> yes. So I will say um, yes and no. So technically, you only need three inches in your penis to be able to satisfy your partner. So if we think about the clitoris, um, so the clitoris, so it's pretty fascinating. It it looks like a T-bone. Is that what you call it in a turkey? Wishbone. A wishbone. Yeah, that's exactly what your clitoris looks like. So it comes out a little bit where there's like a little bitty bean, and then there's these two longer strips that come down. So um, inside the vaginal wall, uh, some people would say that you can have that sensation of those longer like uh, legs of the clitoris, uh, which they would say might be the G-spot. Or there's some other sensations within 
your your vaginal wall about two inches up is typically where you would have most of your sensation. And so the penis really only needs to be about two to three inches to have that pleasure for a female partner. Um, some people like it deeper or whatever. But so in terms of size, what I find is that, and statistically, most men care more about their penis size than their counterpart ever even notices. So they might say, like, do you think my penis looks really long? Like, you know, how isn't it so big? Like, that's so arousing for a lot of guys. But typically, women just don't care that much, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest about it. And it, it can be more Is arousing. Is for real? Yeah, I mean, real. I, I, be, I believe that's the case of women from the from earlier time periods. But it seems like women are becoming more masculine. And I mean more masculine, like more visually stimulated than they used to be decades ago, more outward in their sexual talk than they would have been decades ago, more whatever. So I, 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 yeah. so, so still today, you're saying the modern, a majority of modern women are not as interested in the size as much as the man. You're right. standing by that. Yes, yeah. Okay. And I would say that many women will use it as an erotic foreplay, like, as like talking dirty, like, man, you look so huge. Like, I, I could never have a penis like as big as you, you know, like stuff like that. Like, That's right. Yeah, you couldn't because you're a woman. Of course you couldn't have one. <laughs> you know, of course, yes. So, um, but there is, there are people who have what we call micro penises. And sometimes that can be challenging for some partners where it doesn't completely fill up their vaginal canal. So maybe their, their vaginal wall is bigger. And there are some exercises you can do, like Kegel exercises, going to a pelvic floor therapist that can tighten up that area. For a deeper sensation, um, you can use different toys um, or, you know, strap-ons or, di- not dilator, I mean, you could use a dilator, uh, dildos, um, different types of toys if you're wanting to still have that intimate connection where you're having more sensation. But um, typically, we don't uh, we don't hear about that. Like, women typically just don't care. I think what's important to talk about right now is just a basic sex talk for for us. And I don't mean a basic sex talk, sex talk of, you know, don't have sex unless you're married. I, th- I think there's a place for that talk if you're if you're a believer, if you hold the historic faith, Christian faith. But I mean a basic sex talk as far as, you know, you're talking a lot about pleasure. You just mentioned dildo. You mentioned a bunch of things that is sending off a bunch of bells for a lot of folks, we have to recognize that humans are one of the very few species that are atypical in our sex, meaning we can have sex anytime at all that we want to. We're not like I hunt deer and elk and when when it's in rut, they've only got a couple weeks where they're having sex and that's it. I mean, we were able to have sex all the time. It's because it's a blessing of God. Mm-hmm. There's other animals that is utter, complete pain mm-hmm. to have sex. Cats. Mm-hmm. So they always scream. <laughs> there's a, there's ribs on the cat's penis that goes backwards. It's incredibly painful. It's, it's kind of nature's reminder to mammals and other animals that this is really for you to propagate your species. There's really not much more in it for you. Mm-hmm. With humans, though. That's a heck of a lot different. Mm-hmm. So I, ju- I just want to make sure you recognize God has given us the blessing of sex. It's good for it to feel okay. It's holy actually for it to feel good. And some of the things that we think sound dirty may, may not actually be dirty talk. They may actually be things that you can use to increase your pleasure. And God's good with that because he's given you the ability to have pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And like, 
Man, I love this stuff. Um, one of the so people ask like, well, what's the purpose of the G spot, right? Or what's the purpose of different pleasure points inside your body or your clitoris? And one of the things that they found was actually it's um, they think it is actually for childbirth uh, because when the baby's coming down the canal, there is that pleasure sen- sensation that's released, even though you might not feel it. But if women didn't have that to then trigger their mind, they think that um, many women would die because the pain would be too like too much for a woman to tolerate. And so uh, they're finding that they think some of these pleasure points are actually there to help calm um, in the brain and in the body for, for a woman to get through childbirth. So it's little things like that that I'm like, cool. That is cool. All right. Uh, let's talk about women issues. Women issues. The woman says, struggling with infertility and it's affecting our intimacy. Ideas. Mm-hmm. So infertility, uh, so that can mean a lot of different things. Uh, I'm going to assume that you are having intercourse and you're not able to get pregnant. Sometimes infertility could mean that you can't, it's impossible to have intercourse or maybe you have something like PCOS. Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to assume that this is that you're able to have intercourse and that you're not able to get pregnant and that you're trying to, so this is what I hear a lot. We're trying to make a baby. But because it feels so scheduled that it that we lose that intimacy. So I'm going to assume it's that. There's two tracks to this. One, um, what would it be like to take the pressure off? And I know that there's a schedule that you have to be on, but what would it be like to make that space really celebratory and have that time where you're slowing down and connecting and um, getting to know each other and, and having somewhat of like a celebratory sexual situation? The other piece is that what would it be like to just leave that time for that that performance-based. Um, it's that time when you're supposed to have sex and you do the performance-based type of sex, but then on the other times, you, you really create that space to have more intimate, connected type of sex or the type of sex that you want. I'm going to, you know, not everybody's going to want this slow experience, but how do we understand, like, do we want the the time when we're fertile to be the just like the quickies? Do we want it to be more of a celebratory uh, exploration time? Um, do we want the other times and us to really focus on being intimate and connecting um, outside of that that fertility space? So I'm, I'm going to say that this is really, really hard. Men can lose their erections because of their performance. Women can feel really stressed because, you know, this is their, that time. Are they going to be able to get pregnant this month? There's There's so much riding on it. And I know it's hard to let go of that, but if we can just slowly back away and let go of that um, expectation and just enjoy it, have fun, be adventurous, be playful, I think it can start to shift that mind or just give yourself permission to allow it to be performance-based sex, but then engage in a different type of sex outside of that. Another question. I want to have sex, but it's physically painful. Any hope for me and my spouse? Yeah, so this is what my partner and I went through for years, um, and and then again for some more years after pregnancy. Um, what I would say is look for a sex medicine doctor. So if you're in the Cincinnati area, that's Somi Javade, Dr. Somi Javade, um, Dr. Susan Oakley. If you're in Kentucky, if you're in Dayton, it can be um, 
Dr. Janelle Evans. There's so many different sex medicine doctors. So people don't realize that your OB, even though they can be really well versed in some stuff, they're not trained in sex medicine or sexual health. And so get with someone who really knows sexual pain. And what we find is that that can open up the doors for a lot of healing process to happen along with pelvic floor physical therapy. So many people don't even know about pelvic floor physical therapy, and that can be such a huge piece for sexual pain. So um, I'm in a doctoral program right now for clinical sexology, and this is my dissertation. And one of the things that we're finding is that actually anxiety um, in the brain, which is part of this place called your amygdala, um, is attached to your brain stem or your... uh, yeah, your brainstem, which connects to your spinal cord. And when we have anxiety, especially sexual shame, it comes down the spinal cord and into our pelvic floor, creating tension, which then ultimately creates sexual pain. So sometimes it's working through that anxiety, trying to heal through some core messages, some negative narratives that we have that can then actually release the pain. So sex therapy, sex medicine doctor, pelvic floor therapy. I mean, I've seen women completely reverse stuff that's been so, so painful. So reach out and um, they can really help try and turn this around for you. Okay, that's it. There's so much for you to chew on here. Come next week for the second half of this conversation. Hey, thanks for listening. For more aggressive living, head over to bryantome.com. Get signed up for the mailing list to get regular shots of positive aggression sent straight to your inbox. And while you're there, you can also find articles, podcasts, and books. I'm also active on Instagram. Search Brian Tome. Special thanks to the band judges for the music. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.